So um, I want you to imagine for a moment that I did not forget my pine cone sermon illustration at home this morning. And so I'm setting this pine cone here, okay? So isn't that amazing? Um, that uh, I, I knew I was going to do that. I just knew it. I was either going to forget it at the, the, uh, in paradise or I'd forget it at home. And so check mark for Sunday, I forgot it at home. Um, my plan was to just set it up here and let you wonder, what on earth is he doing with a pine cone? Uh, so um, having blown that, let me go this way. Um, pine cones or pine trees produce seeds in the pine cone. So the pine cone is where the seeds are made. And uh, pine cones come in two varieties. They're serotonous or non-serotonous. And what that means is the pines, uh, the, the veins on it are either closed, they're serotonous, they're closed, or they're non-serotonous, they're open. And so what happens is the pine, the pine tree produces these pine cones, and with the non-serotonous pine cones, when they get to the right maturity, they open and the seeds fall out. And they spread around, and that's how pine trees reproduce. Um, with the serotonous ones, the ones that stay closed, they will remain closed until something causes them to open. And, and so uh, there's a one particular type of pine tree called the Rocky Mountain Lodgepole Pine. And it's really tall and really thin. And what happens is they tend to produce those closed pine cones high up in the branches, especially if they've been subjected to fire in the past. And so that, that's something that I want to just kind of drop there. The pine cone was supposed to be the reminder, and then we'll come back to it at the, uh, later in the sermon. But that's, that's our horticultural lesson for this morning, and, and I promise it, it applies. So we're done with the book of Daniel. This is the end of the book of Daniel. And so what we're seeing here, remember the theme that I said when we started Daniel, the, the theme of the book, the message is how to live faithfully in a foreign culture. How are we supposed to live as faithful believers in this culture that is constantly at odds with our faith? And so we can look to Daniel to get that message. And so what I want to do this morning is, is go through these verses. There's a couple of questions in here that I know everybody's asking. We'll look at those, and then at the end, I'll try to answer that whole question about the book of Daniel and wrap it up and draw it to a close at that point, okay? So let's take a look at, at the passage before us. Verse 4, but you, Daniel... Shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. So God, the angel, the angel tells Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book. Now that can't mean this is top secret, don't show it to anybody. Because God bothered to inspire it and include it in the Bible. And so it's, it's available to us. It's sealed up in some way other than being hidden and closed and nobody can read it. So what it's probably talking about there is to seal it. In other words, to close it up and to say, it's done. Don't add anything more to this. This is it. It's closed. But also to seal the book. Now, the seal there was not just a seal to keep people from looking at it. Sometimes they would use a seal to seal the authenticity. And so I think as we move through this last section, I think what you'll see is this vision that Daniel has received, what the angel is saying is, close it, we're done and seal it. This is going to happen. This is authentic. This is for real. This is really what's going on. And so that's the idea there is, is Daniel's message is for the end of time. He says seal it until the end of time. So it, it is a done message. It's complete. And it has to do with the end of time. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, we are in the last days. So this is for us. 
So that's what he's telling us there. The next sentence is a little confusing. It says, many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. What does that mean? That's just an odd thing to say. Well, the NIV translates it a little differently. The NIV says, many will go here and there to increase knowledge. And I think that that verb for increasing knowledge, I think it carries more of that purpose idea behind it. So what the angel is saying is, Daniel, close the vision, close this, seal it. And in those last days, people are going to be running around looking for understanding, trying to figure out what's going on. Why are these things happening? And, for, and what we'll see in a moment is those who are wise, their knowledge will increase. They'll get it. They'll be able to understand this book. And so that's probably what is going on in that sentence. So the next thing that he says is Daniel speaks in the first person again. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream and one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. So his vision originally was this man came to him clothed in linen with a face like the sun and eyes like lightning. And he had a gold belt around his chest. That was the man he's referring to. And last week I said that's, that's probably a glorious angel, a powerful angel. And so what he sees now is that angel is now hovering above the rivers, that, the, the waters. That's the river Tigris. So it's a big river, and this angel is hovering above it. And now he's joined by two others. There's one on each side. And so that's the picture that he sees. And he, he says, um, someone said to the man clothed in linen. So this is the first question that they ask. And the question is, how long shall it be to the end of these wonders? That's, that's the first question that's asked. So Daniel has seen these visions, and how long will it be till the end of these wonders? How long till these are finished? And here's the answer. The man in linen, the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters, he raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever, it would be for a time, times, and half a time, and that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things will be finished. So when you, in the Bible, when you swear solemnly, when you make an oath, you raise a hand. In Deuteronomy 32.40, in Psalm 106.26, God himself raises a hand to heaven. Who is God going to swear by? He swears by himself. So when you raise a hand, it's a solemn oath. What happens when you raise both hands? This is why I said that idea of it being sealed, and it's finished, and it's sure the angel is about to pronounce with this grand, solemn oath, both hands raised to the heavens, that this is true. And not only does he raise them to heaven, he raises them to him who lives forever. This grand, majestic, glorious angel is going to swear by God himself. That's how, how sealed this answer is. This is how important this answer is. And so what he swears is to the answer, how long will it be to the end of these wonders? The answer is time, times, and half a time. And then that's it. So remember, when we've, we've heard that term a couple of times previously in this, uh, in this book of Daniel. And what I've said is, you know, some people say that's three and a half years. And I'm not sure that it is. I don't know what it is because Daniel never defines it for us. So what I think times, times, and half a time means is it's as long as you think it should be, 
You, you think this should end now, Lord, this should be over. And then again, and you get to the second one, you go, really, Lord, this needs to be over. And then half as long again. In other words, it's going to be longer than you think. But it's measured. It's not times. It's a certain amount of time. It, it will end, and we'll see that in a moment as well. So this time is measured. It is, it is fixed. God has announced how long that will be. Now, what happens? Well, this is where it gets difficult, and this is why we needed to hear it's for a measured amount of time because what will happen is in that time, there will be a shattering of the power of the holy people. A shattering. The word is, is like a rod hitting an earthen vessel, smashed. There is a shattering of the power of the holy people until that comes to an end, until that shattering is done, and then these things will be finished. So the, this wonders that, that was, he was asked about is the shattering of the people. That's us. Now, this is nothing new, because back in Daniel uh, chapter 7, verse 25, uh, we got a glimpse of this before. Uh, this is what he said. He shall speak words against the Most High, speaking about the Antichrist at the end. He will speak words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and shall think to change the times and the law. And they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. It's the same thing. The shattering of the power is the wearing down of the saints. So that's, that's us, folks. That is God's people. And as we move into those end times, there's one coming who's going to wear us down, who's going to shatter our power. But the message of Daniel is reminding us it's limited. It's not, it's not going on forever. It will come to an end. That will, that will finish at a certain spot. So be prepared. One of the promises here is if you endure, you'll get there. And we'll get the answer of how am I going to endure? How on earth am I going to stand with this? We'll get that in a moment. Daniel then says, based on that, he says, I heard, but I did not understand. So see that, that message is sealed up. It, it's, it's closed. It's sealed. So Daniel himself, the writer of the book, doesn't understand. And so he asks, oh, my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? Notice he didn't ask, how long will it be now? He asks the second question, what will be the outcome? Are we going to get wiped out? Is that it? Is the, is the wearing down of the saints, is the shattering of our power, is that it? Are we done? What will be the outcome of this? And so the answer is, go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the end of time. What answer is that? What, what I think he's telling Daniel is, Daniel, you don't have to understand it all. You don't have to understand every little bit of it. Go do what you're supposed to do. Be busy about what you've been given to. This is sealed up. This is shut. And, and you'll, you'll understand what you need to understand. The book of Daniel can be very confusing at times. And the answer that God gives us is, I know. I inspired it. What you'll need, you'll get. What you'll need in the end times when you're facing these things, you'll get. So just go your way. Go do what you're supposed to be doing. These are sealed up. They're set. They're fixed. And the next thing he says, the angel says, Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined. But the wicked shall act wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand. But those who are wise will understand. So there's the promise. There's that promise. Daniel, you don't have to get it all. 
what you need will be given to you. The wise will understand. The wicked are totally not going to get this. This is going to make this is going to sound like nonsense to the wicked, but to the wise, I'll, I'll I'll show you. I'll tell you what it's like. Now here's the hard part. Here's where it gets really difficult for us. The next thing he says, and from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away, and the abomination that makes desolation is set up, there shall be one thousand two hundred ninety days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. So now what comes next, we gotta deal with this. There is no mathematics that we know of to make 1,290 days fit with three and a half years. It doesn't matter how you calculate the years. If you go with calendar years, it doesn't work. If you go with lunar years, 360 days, it doesn't work. Babylonian years, even if you throw in corrections for leap years and adjustments to the lunar calendar, it doesn't work. So as much as we would like to make 1,290 days fit three and a half years, it just doesn't happen. So you math nerds are now working it in your head. <laughs> what if we took, we could, no, just let it be. And then to make it even more complicated, to make it even more confusing, what on earth is 1,335 days? Well, it's 45 days greater than 1,290 days. Well, there you go. So what do you do with the 45 days? What does it mean that this desolation that makes, um, or this abomination that makes desolate will last for this long, and blessed is the one who goes even farther than that, who, who can last another 45 days. There's, there's different interpretations of this. Uh, one is that extra 45 days is how long it takes Jesus to set up his millennial kingdom. I just don't think that, that works. <laughs> Jesus will set up his millennial kingdom by arriving on earth accompanied with all his saints. Everybody who's died in Christ will come with him, and everybody who's alive on the earth will come with him, and he'll have quite a few people. It won't take 45 days to set up his, his millennial kingdom. Probably happen real quick. So I, I just don't know what that means. What I think if you back off the numbers and say, you know what, it, it's not terribly important what those numbers mean specifically. We can wrestle with it. Maybe in the end days we'll know. We'll go, oh, well, of course it was 1290. And boy, am I glad I made it to 1,335. From our perspective at this point in time, we can look at those numbers and say, you know what? It's going to be too long. It's going to be a long time. 1,290 days is a long time. And just when we think it should be over, we got to go another 45 days. In other words, the promise here is it's going to be hard, and you're going to have to endure. And if you do endure, you are blessed. Or another way to translate that word from Hebrew is happy. It's good news that you're going to persevere. Bad news, folks. Life is going to be hard. It's hard now. It's going to get worse. That's just the way the world works. But blessed or happy is the one who survives, who goes through that, who can make it. So in the end, we're going to face these things. And those numbers are probably going to make sense at that point. But what is really reassuring as we look at this now is God has numbered the days. He knows exactly, whether we can figure out exactly what that means or not, what he's telling us is when this persecution comes, those days are numbered. When, when the Chaldeans were, were threatening Israel, God had promised 70 years, and it's up. Then you come back. He had numbered the days of that. When we face, or when Israel faced Antiochus, 
It, his days were numbered. He didn't keep raging through Israel. It was done at a certain period of time. God said he'll do this, and then he'll be finished. As a matter of fact, remember the prophecy was he will die and nobody will be there to help him. And that's exactly what happened. So when, um, pick one, when Mao Zedong starts the cultural revolution and starts killing a whole bunch of people, including anybody in a church, his days were numbered. And it came to an end. God doesn't let these things roll on in history unfettered. When, when Boko Haram is kidnapping children out of schools and, and trying to convert them, force convert them into Islam, and marrying young girls off to just brutal warlords, the days are numbered. 1,290 days, and you're done. Blessed are those who survive. Blessed are those who persevere to 1,335 days. I think that's the picture that we get is God is still in control even when these horrible things happen, even when this rages. And this is something that we hear uh, from the book of Revelation too. Revelation 12, 12. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down in great wrath because he knows his time is short. Even as Satan ravages across this globe, he's doing all he can because he knows his time is finite. God has said, Satan, you'll go this far, and then I'm going to destroy you, period. It's done. And so finally, the last verse, Daniel is told, but go your way till the end. You shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of days. Go your way till the end. This time, go your way doesn't mean none of your business, or you're not going to understand it. What this is, this time is it's a promise, because it's not just go your way, it's go your way till the end. Daniel, you will persevere until the end. So go do what you're supposed to be doing. Go your way till the end. And then this tremendous promise, you shall rest. Daniel, your days of struggle your time of warring against these powers that are, that are threatening Israel, this, this time of fasting and sackcloth and ashes, Lord, or uh, Daniel, that's going to come to an end. You will rest. But for Daniel, he's going to rest in the dust. But listen to the last part. You will rest, and you shall stand in your allotted place at the end of days. When it's all over, Daniel, you will die. But at the end of time, you will be resurrected. When Jesus returns, who wants to meet Daniel? He'll be in that crowd. He'll be in that, that, that group of people who accompanies Jesus back to earth. Daniel will be in there. We'll get to see him. We'll get to talk with him. God has just promised him you will rest. And then in the end of days, you will stand in your place. That's a huge promise. And, and listen to this now. This goes back to the beginning of the chapter, the verse that I didn't read. But at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found in, written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who wish, or, I'm sorry, and those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like stars forever and ever. The promise is right there, Daniel. Resurrection is coming. 
That's what he's promised. And so that kind of takes us into kind of a neat way to back into summing up the whole book. And, and this promise of, of resurrection fits into that. Daniel is in a foreign culture. He is in Babylon. He was in Babylon under the rule of the Chaldeans. He's in Babylon under the rule of the Medo-Persians. And he's looking forward to the arrival of the Greeks. And so that's the, the, the culture that he's in. It is very antithetical to biblical Christianity, biblical Judaism at the time. So what a, what a culture can do, what a foreign culture can do to get you to conform, there are many ways it can do it, but two primary ways are persecution and temptation. It will be easier for you if you just become one of us. That's persecution. The other one is, isn't it easy to be one of us? That's the temptation. Daniel lived in both. So let's look for a moment at the persecution throughout the book. Very beginning, chapter 1, because of Judah's unfaithfulness. That's how the, the book started, was this recounting of, because of Judah's unfaithfulness, this king, that king, this king, Nebuchadnezzar came and took him away. Because of Judah's unfaithfulness, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were brought in exile into Babylon. They were not invited guests. They were marched off. They, they probably marched the whole way from Israel to Babylon. And then they were pressed into service in the royal court. Did they have a chance to say, well, you know, I filled an application out at... No, the king said, you guys are royal. You look pretty good. You're in, you're in here. We'll see how this goes. So the, the persecution there was they didn't have a choice where they would go and what they would do. They were told this was going to be it. Now, the, the, the being pressed into service in the court has its perks. Um, you're going to be fed, right? They're not going to let the royal court starve. Um, you might have an opportunity, if you're in the court, to influence the, the court proceedings to favor the Jews, to be good to your people. So there's, there's some possibilities, but there's also this huge danger, which is when the king gets mad, you could be one of the first ones executed. And that was the threat, wasn't it, right at the beginning? I had a dream. If, anybody can if nobody can tell me the dream and its interpretation, I'm killing you all. There was this huge danger hanging over his head. That was the persecution. Now, of course, God gave him the dream and the interpretation, but there was this real threat. And what happened was that that caused him to increase in the court. Now they're, they're more, they're more uh, prominent. And so the next chapter, what we hear is the jealous Chaldeans tattle on Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah for not worshiping. They were on the plane with the idol, but when all of the nation bowed down, you see these three guys standing up and going, we're not doing that. And what was the threat? Throw him in a fiery furnace. The king's face was distorted. He was so mad, probably foaming at the mouth. That was the persecution part of it. If you don't bow down and worship our gods, I'm throwing you in that fiery furnace. That's, that's, that's persecution. The same thing happens to Daniel not too much later. As he rises to be one of the top people in the kingdom, the other Chaldeans become jealous of him. And they say, well, how are we going to get rid of this clown? Well, the only way we can get rid of him is by tripping him up about his God. And so we'll do something so that the king has to throw him in an lion's den. So this threat of persecution hangs over them. But I don't think that was the hardest thing for them to resist, although that would be hard. I mean, I'm not trying to downplay it. The other problem with Babylon is the allure, the gold, the, the wealth. They're very high up in the government. They're, they're well attached. They know a lot of people. They probably have a lot of good stuff. So the comfort 
the temptation might have been really hard for them to face. Daniel had his own house to go to when he prayed. He wasn't in the barracks. When it was time for him to pray, he went home. And, and when he has this vision about the end and, and he's disturbed by it and he's fasting, what he's fasting from is not meager provisions. He's fasting from delicacies and meat and wine. So Daniel has been provided the best of the land. Surely, Daniel, you can just go along. I mean, look at all we've given you. Isn't it better to be a Babylonian? I mean, isn't it more comfortable? So when Belshazzar has this dream of this handwriting on the wall, what he puts on Daniel for interpreting it is purple, that sign of royalty, and a gold chain around his neck and makes him the third ruler in the nation of, uh, of Babylon. Now, we know that was short-lived. <laughs> they, they, they got taken over pretty quick. But I mean, that is what a culture can do to you, is it can threaten and then it can allure. If you come along, look what we'll give you. And I think in our day and our age, although we face pressures external, we, we face pressures from the radical left and from the alt-right, and there's equal dangers on each side, mostly what we get in America is, man, it's just great to be here. Look at all this great stuff we have. And by the way, we have this wonderful opportunity for you on Sunday morning. And you know, you could just join us, right? You want your kids to be successful in college, we have a soccer program on Sunday morning that would just be great for them. I mean, that's the kind of the threat you hear, but more, I think, in America, it's the allurement. And so what happened with Daniel, Mishael, um, Hananiah, and Azariah was they remained faithful in the middle of it. They attended Babylon University, but they would not compromise on the dietary laws. They said, we will, we will learn all about your culture, all your history, everything you want us to do, but we are not going to compromise on one of the chief things that makes us Jewish, and that is the dietary law. And so they refused to eat the food that the king had prescribed. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah stood on the plain with everybody else. They were told, report to the plain where the idol is, and they didn't say, we're not going. They, they marched right out. But when the, the sound went, when the music started and everybody else bowed, they stood. They remained faithful. They understood who they were. Daniel continued his well-known pattern of three times a day prayer. They knew that he did that. That's why they figured this was what's going to trip him up. And so when the edict comes out, anybody who prays to anything but the king gets thrown in the lion's den, Daniel remained faithful. You can't force me to worship your gods. You can't force me to pray to your false gods. So his well-known pattern of three times a day prayer, he just continued it. And when Daniel came in, he was brought in, brought out of retirement, thought highly of, come in and interpret this weird handwriting on the wall. When Belshazzar says, if you can read it, man, I'm going to litter all this great stuff. And he goes, keep your stuff. I don't, I don't need to be babied in order to do this. This is God speaking, and I'll just tell you what God has to say. And so that was, that was how it looked to be faithful. Now, how did they do that? What power did they have to remain faithful in the face of persecution or allurement? Well, I think early in their days, in, in their youth, it was just their zeal for God. Remember when you first got saved? 
everything was just great and you're really zealous. The problem is not that that fire goes out. A, a raging fire like that consumes everything. What happens is that fire tends to mellow into a long simmering coal and the Lord will keep that burning. So the zeal tends to mellow out a little bit and that's okay. But how do you keep feeding that fire? How do you keep that flame going? How do you keep that zeal? How do you stand firm when you face this over and over and over again? And God provides that. The Lord provides for us to keep that flame burning. And what does he give us? Well, in Daniel, the picture we get from Daniel is we get the promise that these nations that are raging and these, these countries that are coming in and taking over and leading and taking the next one, they're coming to an end because there is a coming kingdom that will not end. And we saw that in chapter 2 in Nebuchadnezzar's dream as he's looking at this big towering image, a rock that's cut out of a mountain and it's cut out without human hands. And it comes and it strikes those feet and it begins to grow and it eventually fills the whole world. That was the promise of this coming kingdom. It's going to replace, it's going to eclipse, it's going to turn all those other kingdoms into dust and it's going to fill the whole world. So when, when the nations come to you and say, if you just go along, if you would just do it the way we do it, what you can do, you can step back and look and go, I've seen this before. I've seen this pattern numerous times. This nation is not going to survive. It's, it's not eternal. America is not going to be an eternal nation. It, it will come to an end at some point. France once ruled the world. England once ruled the world. Babylon once ruled the world. They come to an end, and they're replaced. Do you want to be part of one that's going away? Even as easy it is to, to comply with and the sweetness of delicacies and meat and wine, do, do you want to align with that, or do you want one that will never fade? A kingdom that will come and will fill the whole world and will never end. That was the picture of that. Daniel got an image of it as a rock filling the world, but he got more detail in chapter 7. This is what that kingdom looks like. 7.13 I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. You want to be part of the ones that turns to dust? Or do you want to be part of that kingdom? That's how you resist. That's how you find that line where you say, I'll compromise on this, but I can't compromise on that, is keep your eyes on that kingdom, the one that's coming. And by the way, that leads into the other promise that Daniel was given so he can hang on to this. That other kingdom includes resurrection. I read it earlier. Let me say it again. Those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to, righteous, or to righteousness like the stars forever and ever, and you shall rest, and you shall stand in your allotted place at the end of days. So you can look now and go, but I'm not going to live until that kingdom comes. Better news. Better news. You're going to be raised again to new life at that point. You, you will be raised in that kingdom. And so that takes us back to the pine cone. Remember my pine cone? See my pine cone? Isn't that wonderful? 
that pine cone in those long uh, lodgepole pines, if the area has burnt, they tend to produce more of the closed cones up higher in the branches. And the reason is so the next time the fire comes through, the heat will rise up and it will melt the resin that's holding that pine cone closed. And so it'll slowly begin to open and as the seeds dry up, they'll fall out and hit the ground. Now, what benefit is that? The tree is probably dead at this point. The benefit is zero competition. Anything below it has been burned. And so what happens is this tree has to die to bring new life. It has to die in order to, to live again. And so when we look to that idea of resurrection, we think about resurrection, you don't have to theorize it. You don't have to do what Daniel did and imagine what that could look like. We have a historical event in our past that will show us exactly what resurrection is like, and that's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He rose from the grave in the past as a demonstration, as a promise, as a foretaste. He is the firstborn among many brethren. His resurrection pictures what that coming kingdom will be like. So when Jesus rose from the dead, it wasn't just a victory for him rising from the dead. It was the inauguration of something brand new. That was the rock striking the feet of the, the idol. That was the rock beginning to fill the whole world. That promises something in the future, our resurrection. It assures our resurrection. He was raised for our justification. He was raised so that we might be raised like him. And even more than that, it promises his coming kingdom. Because he was raised from the dead, he will return to this earth with his saints, and his kingdom will reign. And in the end, what he will bring is a resurrected creation, if you will, a new heavens and a new earth. So yes, the elements will be consumed with fire. But somehow, in some way, that means there will be a new heavens and a new earth. And we will be with him. We will be in that city that has no need for a temple because there's no border, borders, no barricade to protect us from God. He dwells with us because we've been resurrected and our sin and our death and all those other enemies and all those false kingdoms and all those allurements are done away. So look to Daniel for a moment. Which kingdom do you want to be aligned with? Do you want immediate, short-lived, temporary, ultimately not satisfying pleasures of this world? Do you want to avoid temporarily punishments that can only do maybe it kill you at the worst? Or do you want a kingdom that will never pass away? A kingdom that can't be taken away from you? A joy that will not decrease, but every day from now until eternity increase regularly over and over again. That, that's the picture of Daniel. That's what Daniel has promised us. And that's what awaits us. So, folks, you are called to live faithful in a foreign culture. And we're in a culture that is becoming more foreign on an almost daily basis. Focus on the kingdom to come. Focus on the promise of the resurrection. Focus on the one coming in the clouds of glory. And that's how you hold on and you go, yeah, man, that looks really good, but I'm not giving up what I've got for something that small. It's just not worth it in the end. So thank you, Daniel. Looking forward to meeting you. It's going to be great. I, I'm sure there are more stories than you recorded in your book. I want to hear them all. And, and I'm looking forward to that day when he comes with Jesus in the clouds.
And so we can listen with him and hear, how did you survive that, man? How did you put up with that? Didn't Nebuchadnezzar scare you to death? Didn't the threat of the, the Medo-Persians, wasn't that terrifying? Tell me those stories, Daniel. I want to know. Let's pray. Lord, as we remember and think about how temporary things are in this life, and that trip to paradise showed us, Lord, we can build a house and fill it with all these wonderful things, and in a moment, they can be consumed with fire and carried away. What do we leave that empty plot with? What do we walk away from that empty uh, um, yard that we used to live in? What, what do we bring with us when we leave? Lord, for those who've put their hope in you, for those who've trusted you, we bring with us a promise of a kingdom that will never end and a life that will never end. And, and Lord, that will eclipse the things that we lose. And, and Lord, that doesn't, I don't think that, that diminishes the great gifts that you give us now. Daniel and, and his friends, they enjoyed the things that you gave them, but they didn't put their hope in them ultimately. And so Lord, would you bless us with that same vision, that vision for a greater kingdom to come so that we might be good citizens in the kingdom we live in because we're not so aligned with it that we take our eyes off what the ultimate great good is. Lord, work those things in us, we ask. In Christ's precious name, amen.